As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. Bunch of stuff to get to, Stu, in the college football world. But first, so you and I were not uh, together last week. You've been in Europe for two weeks, I think, or so. How did the trip to France go? It was fantastic. It really was. Um you know, my wife and I went there on our honeymoon 11 years ago, and we thought, hey, we'll, we'll, you know, we love, we love France, we love Europe, I'm sure we'll keep going all the time. But that was right before we moved from New York to California, and we hadn't been back since because it's a, it's a long way to go. Um, but and credit to her for planning most of this. She studied uh, in college. She spent a year abroad in Aix-en-Provence. I had only ever been to Paris, so this trip... We started in Paris, but then I got to see the rest of France, the, the, the countryside in Provence, the beach down in the Riviera, and we had our six-year-old with us, and she loved it. So I can't recommend it enough, not just the country, but this is the first time since that honeymoon that I had taken two weeks off of work at once. And um, granted, I was still checking Twitter at least once a day, see what's going on with realignment, but it's not the same as when you're, as you know, like when you're home and at work and you're just on that thing all day and Slack and, and everything else. So, yeah. Can I ask you this question? Yeah. You said your wife your wife um, planned most of this. Mm-hmm. Did you plan any of it or were you just along for the ride? <laughs> no, did I mean, you have I, I any did. input? Yeah, did I did. I did. I mean, she she had a better idea of the geography and like what what order of events, what what how you get from place to place and whatnot. But I was very involved with like which hotel should we stay in, which restaurant should we eat at, um, how do we get from the airport to this? You know, the, there's more. There's more little things you don't think about when because we changed hotels I think five times because we stayed in so many different places. Um, but it, it for the most part it went very smoothly except for the fact that we both got stung by jellyfish uh, in the ocean uh, down in the south of France. And I actually had a allergic reaction to it and had to see a doctor. But other than that, great trip. All right. What um, were you up to? Oh, I know what you were up to, but do you want to tell the audience? 
Yeah, so we, uh, my wife's family is from Dallas. We went down there for a week, and I took my son to Cowboys Youth Camp at the Star in Frisco, which is an awesome venue, and it was kind of cool. I had a little bit of a small world kind of run-in thing where day two I'm sitting in the bleachers um, in the stands of, of the venue with, like, you know, maybe there's, like, 50 other parents around just kind of watching. You know, it's, like, know, whatever, six hours each day. And um, saw a familiar face that I wasn't sure if it was who I thought it was walking towards me with a baseball hat and sticks out his hand and he calls my name out and it's Kellen Moore, who, as all our listeners know, was the great Boise State quarterback. Um, and now he's the offense coordinator of the Cowboys. I knew he was there. I just didn't expect to see any of the coaches there because the camp was run by all former players, former NFL players. And so... He had a son. His he has a son, Kyler, who's um, around the same age. I think he might be a grade behind uh, our son. But it was neat because I spent the day with him. We just talked a bunch of stuff, and um, you know, there's there was two things that were like kind of like he was just because he's you know we covered him, and the last time I think I'd actually talked to him was at when he went through the combine, which was like eleven or twelve years ago, you know, and mm-hmm. obviously he's like uh, probably going to the Hall of Fame this year, or probably should. Um, it was just awesome just to kind of reconnect with him. But at the same time, it's weird because, you know, like you covered some player and then all of a sudden it's like, and obviously you're an old dad, I'm a, I'm an old dad, but like, you know, when your kids at the same age as somebody, you know, like you covered, it's not like his, not like he was like a very young dad, but just, you, know, you kind of have that shared experience. So it was a, uh, it was kind of a, it's kind of a neat surprise. Um, but yeah, a lot of stuff to get to Stu. So while you were away, I'm assuming this is on the flight home, you you penned a column or a think piece in the face of realignment about what you were seeing as what they should do as a merger from some of the, let's put it this way, some of the leftover conferences outside of the top two, which is obviously the SEC and the Big Ten. So let's talk about your column first, what you were thinking about, and then where it is now and the reality of how some of this stuff is shaken out as, you know, maybe some people are getting hit by the reality of just how much value each of them yeah. actually have. Well, first of all, hats off to John Wilner, uh, the the guru, all things Pac-12. He's been all over uh, this stuff since the USC-UCLA move. And he had done a series, uh, like a daily series for a little bit there. Of, you know, what are some possible scenarios the Pac-12 could do basically to survive? And I think it was Monday of last week. Um, he did one on the possible Pac-12, Big 12 merger. He had some interesting insight there from a TV expert who basically said, I think the two of them would do better together than apart. And so that, you know, my little, the little realignment junkie in me, light bulb went off. And I was like, well, how would that, how would that work? Right. Because that seems very clunky. And, but what I put together, I thought was actually a pretty, pretty, um, appealing plan neither of these conferences are going to be the sec or the big 10 that's never going to happen even together but i thought if you first of all add two more san diego state and smu and you have 24 teams and you split it into four pods divisions whatever you want to call it it actually works out pretty neatly where you have i i love the the san diego state part i think is interesting because obviously without usc and ucla you have no, you would no longer have Southern California, San Diego State. Obviously, it's further south. It's not L.A. And there's you know, but it's a really good program. It's obviously been really good in college basketball. It has a rich baseball history, and 
you know, they've been good a lot of times yeah. in, in college football. So they're getting that's that new why, stadium. Yeah, they have that new stadium. This year is um, God. I shouldn't remember the name off the top of my head, but they're opening it this year, mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a lot of positives about San Diego State. So. Sorry, I was just wanted to interject for that for people who maybe aren't. Yeah, Sandy, I think here. everybody agrees if the Pac-12 is going to do some sort of expansion that they'd be first on the list. There's not a lot of agreement on who would be after that. And then, you know, I got some blowback about SMU. All they already have, you know, the Big 12 already has that market. You should go get Memphis. And, okay, the point is you had six Pacific Coast schools. You had, uh, I believe, five Mountain Time schools. You had... Uh, the Central Division would be basically the old Southwest Conference with Oklahoma State thrown in there. And then the Eastern one would be a mix of the um, you know, UCF, Cincinnati, West Virginia, and then a few Central Time Zone Big 12 teams. And then I think the key detail I had was I would, for their ninth conference game, I would have semifinals between the winners of the pods. And so people, in the, I was surprised at the response. Like people loved it <laughs> for the most part. So, of course, it's not going to happen. Uh, and in fact, apparently, they've been the two conferences. Now, the thing about realignment is there's so many different people who have a hand in it. There's the, the presidents and the ADs of the schools themselves. There's the people at the conference. They're working with consultants. But um, Pete Thamel had a story uh, the night before we're recording this that there actually had been some talks between the conferences about a possible merger, but the Big 12 shot it down. I think we're in an interesting moment here where you know, the Big 12 fans are, are you know, last summer was rough. If you're an Oklahoma State fan, if you're a Baylor fan, you don't like hearing that, hey, you guys don't have any value. Those are good programs, right? They're just not big TV draws. And you remember, like, they all wanted to join the Pac-12 last year, and the Pac-12 said no thanks. So now, a year later, the Pac-12 is going through this. And, and rather than having that spirit of collaboration that I talked about in there, of like, hey, maybe we'd be better off together, where... For instance, instead of us each going to market with a separate TV deal, we combine it into one so that ESPN only has one shot to get us. You might have a little more leverage than you would otherwise. Um, no, the Big 12 attitude is we're going to pillage you guys. <laughs> like, why would we don't need to merge with you? We'll just pit, take our pick. We'll get Oregon, Washington, Arizona. We'll just we'll pick who we want and, and leave the rest for scraps. And it's Maybe that happens, but it's not matching with the reality, at least of what I'm hearing on the ground about the Pac-12. I'm not hearing that those schools really have interest in joining the Big 12. Right now, they're focused on this 30-day negotiation window uh, that's opened with ESPN and Fox and finding out where they stand exactly. And they're hoping for good news. They're hoping that it's they're not under any delusion that's going to be what it would have been with USC and UCLA. That it's, but that it's solid enough to feel like they can stick together going forward. If they find out they're not worth anything, then yeah, maybe they start looking into other options. But I don't get the sense that they're, any of those schools are on the verge of jumping to the Big 12. But at Big 12 Media Days last week, the new commissioner, Brett Yormark, said we're open for business. I think rightfully so. He's exuding confidence that basically they, they call the shots here. Um, but I'd be interested in your thoughts. Like... I don't know that either of those conferences, now that they've lost their marquee programs, I don't know that one is definitely stronger than the other in terms of, uh, I'm not on the field. Big 12, definitely stronger on the field. But as we know in realignment, that's not really the, the primary factor. In terms of attractiveness yeah. to TV, I don't know that 
it's obvious that the Big 12 is more attractive than the Pac-12 or vice versa. It's not. I think sometimes people will, like, if you're a Big 12 fan or if you're certainly an Oklahoma State fan, you will look and go, well, Bedlam did a big TV number. Well, a lot of that is because of your arch rival is driving eyeballs. And here's what I would, you know, and this is anecdotal, but, like, here, just pick, I'm going to pick a Saturday in the middle of the fall, and I'm going to just read some TV numbers, and I don't want this, you know, to glaze over on it, but I think it's good context. Uh, October 9th is this Saturday, this particular Saturday of last season, West Virginia Baylor prime big 12 schools right now. They were on FS one at, you know, in the middle of the day, it had less than 500,000 viewers. That is a bad number. Anything under, you know, in six digits is a bad number, but then you go a little further up and I'm not even talking, you know, much beyond this. Um, you have a UCLA, Arizona, like obviously you say is going on to the, to the uh, Big Ten, Arizona has been really bad in football. It is on big ESPN. It is the late kickoff for ESPN. It's under 800,000. You know, it's on big ESPN. You know, it's like, that's a tough sell. So what you're talking about with what Arizona, mm-hmm. what Arizona State has. Even worse than that, ESPN game at 7 o'clock at night, TCU, Texas Tech. These are rich Texas programs. You want to guess what the number it did was? You said 7 o'clock on ESPN? On ESPN. Not ESPN two, ESPN, ESPN, um, eight hundred thousand, six twenty five. That's 000. terrible. That is a shockingly small number. But, it's, but I did a story uh, last, and this is why a lot of Big Twelve fans are still think I've got it out for them. I really don't. But a lot of this came up when I did that story last summer, right after Texas and OU left, looking at the TV numbers, and I couldn't believe how dismal they were for those other remaining schools when they're not playing OU or Texas. Andy Staples, more recently, like while I was on vacation, did the research of the last five years, not including 2020, games taking away all of the future SEC and and Big Ten teams, everybody else, which team, which schools have had the most games during that time with a million viewers. And I don't think it's going to be a surprise. Clemson was first with 34, Florida State with 31. But after that, it's Washington, it's Oregon, it's Miami, then it's Washington State of all teams. And well, how then, long is the span again? I'm sorry. Uh, 2017 to 2021 with 2020. Well, Leach excluded. had some entertaining teams, yeah. and he gave them an identity. Honestly, there, that's there's like, another factor I'm going to mention in a second, but to, just to continue down. So then you get to Oklahoma State, who's tied with Utah. You look at some of these, like Baylor has been to what three, four BCS bowls in the last decade. They're tied with Colorado for with 15. Um, it's, it's not good for those schools. Um, I think, so this is what I pointed out on Twitter. I think the Pac-10, if you want to call it that, the advantages they do have, and I'm not saying it, it's going to make them rich by any means, but first of all, they have Oregon and Washington. Those are the top two of either league brands still available. Now, are they going to run to the Big Ten? Sure, but I don't know if the Big Ten's calling uh, the them. Big Ten, I don't think the Big Ten, like, I don't uh, Frame it the other way. I don't think the Big Ten wants them right now. They don't, um, so. which is maybe surprising to some. But like Oregon does decently on TV, but they don't do. Um, I mean, there's a reason USC and UCLA are going to the Pac-12 to the Big Ten and not also I, USC. I don't think wants wants Oregon in there either, for whatever that's worth. Okay, so. and so so if we're assuming they're still part of the lineup. 
Okay, they've got two programs that are more valuable than any in the Big 12. And also, as much as Pac-12 fans hate 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 Pacific games, it's actually their best calling card for TV because they're the only league that can fill those spots. And you were just looking at some of the numbers. Those ESPN, main ESPN, 10.30 Eastern games usually do a million, a million, two. Sometimes. Like, I mean, I'm looking at a US a UCLA-Utah prime ESPN. Still didn't do a million. No, and that's Utah surprising. Was obviously really good. And U- UCLA at that point was, you know, it's like UCLA won eight games. I so saw like Wilner tweet that, uh, and, and and this is an important thing too, it's not just Saturdays, right? That sometimes they'll do a Friday or a Thursday Pac-12 game. And he, he mentioned a Stanford-ASU Friday night game last year did 1.1 million. So my point is, that's something I, ESPN will, if, 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 if the Pac-12 would suck up their pride a little bit here, now fans aren't going to like this, but if they said, we'll give you our game of the week at 10.30 Eastern, they will pay for that. That's that's valuable well, to them. A few years ago, and I think you still were at Fox at the time, uh, we had, I want to say it was an Oregon-Cal Friday night game. Oregon was rolling. Um, and the, it, was a, it was a good audience, and it was a good game. And I think people at our place at the time would have loved to have had a weekly Friday night Pac-12 mm-hmm. game. But I don't think... My understanding was that the conference didn't want to commit to a weekly yeah. slot like that. And well, they're not. They don't have much leverage now. They're going to have both leagues are going to have to agree to some things maybe they wouldn't have agreed to in the past to try to just make something out of this. But I don't want. I, I mean, at the end of the day, in this new reality where the SEC and the Big Ten are kind of the power two, neither of those leagues, as they're currently constituted on their own, are going to make a lot of TV money. They will. I would think it would be a win. If they are able to make what they do now, you know, which is what uh, for the Big Twelve, it's in from TV for the Big Twelve. I believe it's in the high twenties. Which I think. I think for context, I think the ACC is in the low thirties. Yeah, the AAC is in the single digits. Right. So there's the range. Well, um, last year, Bolsby the- was you know said, I think at that hearing he said they were making. I think don't quote me. This is the exact number. I think they were making twenty eight million from TV that year. And he, and he said Oklahoma and Texas are half that. So now you're at $14 million. Right. You're going to get some bump because it, that lead, that number was set 12 years ago. But you're not going to get... Do you get, get, do you get, do you get in the 20s? I don't know. I think they will end up, and this is a guess, I think they will end up somewhere in the middle between where the AAC is and where the AAC oh, is. Oh, you are about to get lit up by our friends in the Big 12. Anytime you mention the AAC... Well, the AAC, great is, the to AAC that. is around seven or eight per school, and the ACC is in the low 30s. The ACC is in the low 30s. So I'm saying with that they Clemson, would get some, with Florida State, State with Miami. Miami yeah. yeah, those are all way bigger brands. Yeah, um, and they're also they're way bigger markets. By the way, the most Not optimistic projections I've seen have the Big 12 making about what they make now going forward. Which is what. Which is you said twenty six low twenties maybe I mean it goes up right, every so year low, so, so it might get I mean yeah low twenties is around like I if you take the middle of let's say eight or seven from the AAC and thirty three from the from the AAC from the ACC sorry so the middle of that is around twenty it's around yeah. twenty one I think they're hoping for more than that I think the pack sure twelve but not much that. more than that and I think the number I've seen with the pack twelve is they were hoping to get. They currently make, on average, and remember these averages, you know, you're on the, they, they escalate, so we're higher than the average right now. But the average 
in the last deal was 250, 250 million. They were hoping to double that. And when USC and UCA left, people were like, no, 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 that's no. now you're going to get more like 300, which would be a slight bump up. So at the end of the day, it's, I don't, I don't know that one is going to be significantly richer than the other, which is why to me, put your side, your ego and your pride. And I'm sure the new commissioner wants to make a huge splash team up. You better together than you are on your own, but I don't. That's just not the spirit of. Re- it's almost like the the Big Twelve and Pac Twelve. It's like they're you know if you're t- if you're in high school and you're getting bullied, right? They're getting beaten up by the locker at the locker. You could team up and try to get back at the bullies, but instead, it's like one of them saying to the other, "So no, screw that. I'm going to beat you up instead." Well, I think the the thing you have to keep in mind is unlike the bully. Uh, analogy though like you have to have somebody to pay for the inventory in all these games yeah and if you're talking about they're talking about it as a block of it now you're talking like 32 teams or or 30 teams like who's gonna like you have to have unless you're a streaming site and espn plus is that but like you have to have room for for that that somebody's gonna want all that inventory well it's a lot quantity. of those i think the reality is for both these leagues is a lot in the future a lot of their games are going to be on streaming whether that's ESPN plus uh, Apple. Apple. I don't know. I mean, the thing with Apple is they want the best games like app, a company like Apple is not going to pay the PAC 12 big money to show their number three game. Yeah. They want the best games. And I don't know if we're there yet. I don't know that a major conference wants to put their best game of the week on a streaming on, on an Apple subscription service yet. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I mean, in the context of this, let me ask you this. Just, Just I'll throw this at you. UCLA and USC are out of the conference so going forward to this point. So aside from maybe a Utah-Oregon, when you go to the start of the season and just like say, okay, rank the top 25 matchups that you as a college football fan would want, you think would be attractive, how many would, like, would you put that could, that could be, that would be going into the year a, a Pac-12, Pac-10 or a Big 12 game? Maybe one? Well, you're right. I think Utah-Oregon would be the only one on the list from the Pac-12. Potentially, yeah. The Big 12 would have more because, again, I want to make it clear. I think the Big 12 has a pretty good football conference on the field. Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Cincinnati all finished in the top 10 last year. So there's interesting games, but as you showed the numbers. They're not programs they did, that but people tune I'm gonna, into. I'm going to read something. Look, Dave Aranda's done a terrific job, and I think Mac Rhodes has done a terrific job running the program. I'm going to read to you the numbers of the last uh, five, six Baylor seasons. They won seven games. They won one game. They won seven games. They won 11. They won two. They won 12. Like, 
that's so wildly all over the map. And I know they've had coaching changes and extenuating circumstances, but like, like that's not like Oklahoma has consistently been an elite program. Like there hasn't been anybody who's been consistently an elite program. No, if you look at those big 12 teams, like most of them have had, you know, TCU had a season where they almost made the playoff. Like they've all had moments like that. They just, none of them have been able to sustain it. And, and you don't know what that'll look like going forward, but um, we should get to, I know we could, like we could talk realignment for hours. We have, a mailbag full of questions about realignment, but we want to get to um, SEC media days have begun. I think we may be the only two college, national college football writers who aren't there. Um, and Greg Sankey raised some eyebrows when he got up there and said, in talking about the playoff going forward, remember he was one of the co-authors of the 12 team playoff proposal that ultimately got shot down that I think the PAC 12 and ACC in particular will rue the day they shot that down. Um, and he's ticked to this day. It's like six months later. I, I know his, the way he speaks, his mannerisms, when he talks about that, he is so incredulous because he feels like the, the best possible system, most advantageous system for the SEC would have been one that has many at large berths as possible, right? Cause they are good enough to put four or five teams in there in a given year. He feels like he was very generous in supporting a system where half the spots would have been for conference um, highest ranked conference champions, that in, which could include even more than one group of five conference. And it got shot down. And now, uh, you know, realignment has happened. And people say like, oh, he was, you know, he was uh, he knew the whole time he was at OU in Texas. He was operating nefariously. Well, I, I think it was pretty cold-blooded to, for sure, but if he knew OU and Texas were coming, why would and he was being selfish, why would he still support giving a, a, a system where that the, the depleted Big 12 will still get an automatic bid most years? Well, anyway, he gets up there yesterday and he says, we're going to rethink the whole thing. Like, we tried to play nice. Now we're going to rethink the whole thing. And you know what? Maybe we should have one with no automatic bids. Maybe you should just take the top eight or the top 12 teams. And I thought that was a bit of a warning shot to his colleagues that, um, A, you guys probably should have accepted it the first time. And B, you know, it's, everything's a negotiation. So I don't think there'll be a system with no automatic bids, but I don't think it's going to be six. Not after two of the conferences so have been weakened. You, uh, how, would you, how, how do you feel about no automatic bids? Well, I think that it doesn't bother me personally but I know how much it bothers most college football fans because you know what you're doing. <laughs> you are the, one of the world's most, you know, harshest critics of, of Gary Barta and the, and that committee. Right. Well, if I'm, you do, I, I if, if you do, Gary, he said you're giving them more power. I feel for Gary Barta because he went out there and would just stumble all over himself. Yeah. You know what that The point is. is, I don't think people want a system where the selection committee because some years, like the, they, it just takes care of it for them, right? It's like the the four end up being pretty obvious, but if you're talking eight or twelve, and they are picking all of them, I mean, they're going to have a lot of power there, and it's going to be even more subjective. And that's why I think people want some, at least some auto bid, some some of those bids to be just automatic, you know. Thing also, we see that the conferences are getting rid of divisions. 
So the idea that I think Greg Sankey has brought up, like if we do eight teams and there's auto bids, you're going to end up with, you know, the number 20 team getting a bid and the number eight team getting left out. Less chance of that happening if you're taking the top two teams and you're you're not going to have nine and four uh, champs if that happens. So I think there'll be auto bids. I think there should be auto bids. Should there still be six though in a situation in a, in a new environment where the Pac-12 is weakened and the Big 12 is weakened and the AAC is drastically weakened because the Big 12 just took all their best programs? I don't know what the right number is, but I don't think it's six. All right. Uh, obviously, this will still be a talking point and i'm sure the other conferences the acc is about to have its media days the big 10 is going to have its media days in indianapolis next week and then the pac 12 ish pac 10 or whatever we're calling it soon uh is going to have its at the end of next week um i did want to it's going to be so awkward and i'm going to it you're going to it usc and ucla will be there and it's in la yeah. Um, I do want to, like, I know we're in the middle of media days. I really want us to talk a little bit about the games on the field because we've spent mm-hmm. a lot of time this offseason talking about NIL and agents and, and obviously conference realignment and all that stuff is interesting. But also, what are you most excited about? So You know what I'm most excited about? Great question. Well, first of all, I just want to say that, and this is not exactly rocket science here, but Alabama if anybody other than Alabama wins the national championship this year, it'll be an upset. I think they are just a they're on they're loaded, and b they're going to be on a revenge tour, right? So if you're saying what are you most excited about, then I wouldn't put the national championship race at the top of the list. What I am interested in very much is situations like LSU, USC, where you have Oklahoma. These big name programs have had high profile coaching changes coupled with the transfer portal and the the range of possibilities for those teams. I'll throw Texas in there too. The range of possibilities for those teams, right? I saw somebody tweeted that USC is the Vegas favorite to national. I don't I don't buy that, but um, Vegas the Vegas favorite for what? The national title, or they're getting the most bet. The public is betting the most on USC. Oh. You know, is USC with Caleb Williams and Travis Dye and all these guys, are they going to go out Jordan there and Addison, just be, yeah. you know, Jordan Addison going to be like a national championship contender a year after going four and eight? Or is it going to be, you know, the defense is still terrible and they, and they. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there and ask you since you mentioned those yeah. four schools and obviously Texas Sark is in a second. You're not as I throw Texas in there because so much of their hopes are around Quinn Ewers, who was a five-star you know, number one ranked quarterback. And, and I think Texas fans, you know, why not? Well, let's Just ask give you this, this guy the Heisman, but I have no idea how good he's going to be. Let's, so let's ask you this. Tell me what you would define a successful season for each of those. I want you to start. You just, let's start last. Let's say Texas. What do you, they were five and seven last year. Yeah. They have a, like USC, they have a lot of firepower at the skill positions. Well, given that Oklahoma is going through a coaching change and lost a lot of guys, Baylor lost a lot of their key players, Oklahoma State lost you know, that defense, I think a good season for Texas is to make the Big 12 title game. And whatever, whatever that it takes is, if to it's, get if in it's eight there. and yeah. four or ten and I'm two. I'm not saying it's conference championship or bust. I don't even think they got picked in the top two in the preseason poll. But if you're saying what success to me is, uh, Big 12 championship game. What do you think? 
I think that's a good barometer because if you look at their schedule, obviously they play Alabama, they're probably going to get their heads kicked in on that. And then the way the schedule sets up, they have probably three of the three tough road games, Oklahoma at, at Oklahoma state. And also K state's never been fun for them. So that's, you know, three tricky games. And I think they have the double, actually what I'm looking at is they have a bye week in between the road, the uh, going to Stillwater and Manhattan, but still, I would agree with you. I think if they can get to the Big 12 title game, that is a successful season. Um, the Sooners, what do you define as success for Brent Venables in his first year? They were 11-2 and two last year, and it felt yeah. like a down season. Well, as you know, I'm lower on them than, than most people. So what I would consider to be success is probably not what their fans would consider to be success. So let's say 10 wins, right? 10 oh. wins, uh, double-digit win season kind of keeps them – uh, that's what you expect from Oklahoma, right? No, I think at least win 11. I, I You look hmm. at their schedule here, this is why I think that. They get Baylor at home, they have Bedlam at home, Dylan Gabriel should be a good fit for that that offense because he knows it. Um, you know, 11-2 last year with quarterback issues. Um, like I said, the schedule sets up better for them. I, think I don't. It, so you're, but, but you're giving them no. I just think in today's I'm college football, what defines success. I'm it's always you've, disaster, you've always you've two, always uh, you know you you never know with a coaching change. But I just think with the transfer portal, coaching changes are harder than ever. Coaching transitions, and so even if Brent Venables ends up being the guy that will lead them to their first national championship since 2000, I still think the first season you have to temper expectations a little bit. I I don't disagree with you, but eleven and two last year felt like a big disappointment. I think it felt like a big disappointment because even when they were nine and zero, they weren't playing very well. No, you're, so, like, you're right. You're right. That's yeah. a good point. But but uh, I just think when you look at what they have, I mean, the non conference is UTEP, Kent, at Nebraska. Um, you know, I don't, I, neither one of us thinks the Big 12 is particularly loaded right now. I mean, your arch rival is coming off a five and seven season. So, um, well, one of your two arch rivals. Uh, all right. So let's talk. You're about, in LA. I want you to answer the USC question. What's success for USC? I think success for USC is to win the Pac 12. I mean, unfortunately for Lincoln Riley, I feel like. His new sidekick, Colin Coward, has is not doing him any favors because he's actually making USC a lot more hated, I think, because of all the <laughs> this is the greatest first practice ever been had or whatever. And I think he's talked about them like the Vegas stuff you were saying, where people are looking at it as the dark horse team to win the national title because they have three really good transfers on the skill side. Their offensive line is okay. It's not great. It's so premature. And their defense has a lot of holes. So to me, um, it's you know I don't think I don't think a lot of the Pac-12, but let's say this: if they don't win, like I think they can go ten and three and win the Pac-12, but I don't know beyond that. You know, if they don't win the Pac-12, I think they'll it'll feel like a bit of a disappointment. I'm not saying get to the playoff; I'm not going there, but I think at least you win the Pac-12. I mean, you got. He's taken over, Lincoln Riley's taken over a new program with a lot of issues that was really bad last year. What if USC is, let's say, goes to the Pac-12 title game, they're like 10-2. and two. Um, Like there's so many, 
Like, what if they're 10-2, and two, but they beat Notre Dame? You know, what if they're... My point is, like, Utah or Oregon wins the Pac-12. They get into the Pac-12 title game. They have a good record. They're 10-2. and two, But, like, Utah and Oregon, one of them is a playoff team and beats them. That's not still a successful season? I think it's okay. I don't think it's... No, I think if you're USC and you have Caleb Williams and you have Jordan Addison and you have Travis Dye, I mean, two of those three, you know, like obviously Jordan Addison just came from having a remarkable season at Pitt personally and, you know, individually as well as team-wise. Travis Dye, you know, lit it up in at Oregon. I just think... You know, as as mediocre as I think the defense is personnel wise at this point, and as you know, as patchwork as it kind of is, I still think that that is go- the perception around here in Los Angeles is going to be this team should win the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 is just not that good. Well, on the grade, you know, the, so you're grading these teams on a higher curve than I am, and it's going to re- result in I think a lot of teams being considered disappointments. Real quick, lastly, LSU. Uh, I think success for them is eight and four and be in the top 25 at the end of the year, maybe be in the top 20. See, that's interesting because I would think LSU fans would consider that a failure. I think you got to keep in mind they're in a, they're in the toughest division in college football. Um, I, you know, I don't like to go nine and three in his first year. Um, I mean, I'm looking at the schedule and thinking that's going to be a tall order. I don't know. I mean, you have, they have a bunch of talent at quarterback and a bunch of talent at receiver and a bunch of talent at defensive line. I mean, they definitely have pieces to work with. I just, I don't know. Again, I think it's tough to just put a number on these teams. If LSU LSU goes, goes eight, um, like if LSU has a season like A&M did last year, right? Eight and four, but they beat Alabama, you know, that's a success. Yeah. Yeah. If LSU goes eight and let's say, let's say, um, Texas A&M ends up being a playoff team, but LSU hands them their one loss. Like, right, stuff so let's like say, that let's would say make they you feel in, a lot more confident. I'll say this. If they finish in the top 20, to me, that's a success. Top 25, no. top 20, I would say that would be a success. Okay, I would agree with that one. What do you say we get to the mailbag, which we've been, you know, we've got weeks of questions stored up. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. Sorry, guys, we're not going to address all the realignment questions. We just talked realignment. We're going to talk more realignment. So I went and picked out the ones that aren't realignment. And this first one, actually, we were just talking about the Big 12 and how the Big 12 will shake out. Matt, hi, Bruce and Stu. Recently, the media came out with their preseason All-Big 12 team. K-State led the conference with six selections, and one of those selections was one of those players was selected as preseason defensive player of the year. However, they were picked to finish fifth, and received zero first-place votes. Can you help explain why it feels like the media is so allergic to the K-State name? Uh, I think a little of it is it's not a sexy, you know. And they have, like, a, a arguably the most exciting player in the country in Deuce Vaughn, but I think some of it's due is people just feel like there's not, they don't look and say, oh, there's a bunch of five stars here. I mean, look, a few minutes ago, you were you just got really excited about Quinn Ewers. And we know um, that there's Texas has a bunch of those guys who are former five-star recruits. And we know that that there is Dylan Gabriel put up a huge year there before. It's interesting because, you know, Spencer Sanders is, was, you know, I feel like he's been at Big 12 Media Days like five years in a row, but like he's still there at Oklahoma State. And it's just like, I think when you look at, at, at what K-State has, 
I feel like they they will go as far as your favorite quarterback will take them. That's right. And I'm surprised they weren't picked higher because, you know, that is a – say what you will. Adrian Martinez, I give him a lot of flack. You give him but, too much flack. Yeah, I mean, he has a lot of fumbles interceptions, right? But he actually has decent stats in terms of as a passer. So he's taking over. Deuce Vaughn, great player. Daniel Green, great player. I think they are a sleeper team in the Big 12. It w- if you tell me that K-State's going to end up playing the Big 12 title game this year, that would not shock me. Um, I did not realize the thing. Of, the interesting thing, and I didn't realize it, what he's saying about leading the conference with six selections is, and this is going to be another reason why they weren't picked higher, if you just pick up your Athlon and look at their depth chart, not a lot of returning starters. Not a lot of guys with, that are bold-faced. Uh, I believe 10 returning starters. And so that's kind of a... I think if you're Ohio State and Alabama, it doesn't really matter how many returning starters you have. Everybody assumes you'll just reload. I don't think people feel that way when they see that uh, with a team like Kansas State. Next. I like this one from Mark Weaver. Uh, Hi, Stu and Bruce. The SEC has won 12 of the last 16 national championships with five programs, accounting for those wins. It would seem to be a good bet to take the SEC over the field this year as well since Bama and Georgia are the two main favorites along with Ohio State. However, what would you say, if I gave you an over-under of 2.5 non-SEC national champions for the rest of the 2020s, what would you take? For reference, there were four non-SEC champions in the 2010s. I will take the over. I will take the over. Um, It would not surprise me if Lincoln Riley won one at USC in the next five years. In fact, I, I feel like he has a good chance to win in the next five years. I could, I think, I wouldn't be shocked if you said to me, put percent chance on winning the national title this year, I'd give a decent chance. I know what you said about Alabama, and I don't really disagree with, you know, they. I think they're the favorite. I think Ohio State's going to have an amazing season. I think their offense yeah. is going to be ridiculous. I think Ryan Day has done a good job with the staff and made some upgrades there. I think I think they're going to win a national title before too long with him as the head coach. So I will take the over on more than two and a half. Ohio State's not going anywhere. Um, I am, you know, a little skeptical that Clemson will continue to be in the mix for these things for very long. I think USC will get back in the mix. You want to throw Notre Dame out there possibly the way Marcus Freeman's recruiting. Um, yeah, I'm going to take the over as well, but it's going to be barely. If he what had said the over under was... If he had said the over/under was three point five, I would probably take the under. Also, by the way, what, what what what? Give me a percent chance that Nick Saban is the head coach at Alabama in 8 percent. That seems that seems unlikely. Okay, John Hayes, our how old will he be by then? Almost eighty, seventy six, seventy seven. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, the president of the United States is older than that. Does that um, add to that? If he if he's still the coach throughout, President of the United States doesn't have to recruit though. So, <laughs> and Nick Saban does not seem seventy. Let, let's let's be honest. I just don't see him doing it for another almost ten years. Um, but Kirby Smart could still be the coach of Georgia. Jimbo Fisher could still be the coach of Texas A and M. What what about Brian Kelly? Will he still be the coach of LSU at the end of the decade? Mm, I don't. You know, he was at Notre Dame for a lot for a ridiculous amount of time, and I say that in a positive way for him to ride that for as long as it was 
my guess is he will not be the head coach at LSU that long. I meaning another seven years or eight years because LSU fires coaches when they win national titles. Yeah. I mean, I just, I'd be surprised if he's there seven years. I agree with you. I, I think as the more I think about that question, Ohio state alone makes me want to take the over. I mean, I know they haven't won one since 2014, but they're always in the mix. Um, the year, uh, I mean, the 2020 season was so screwed up. Who knows what would have happened if there had been a full season, but that team was really good. If Ryan um, Day is 20- the head coach at Ohio State to 2020, to 2030, Ohio State will win multiple national titles. I feel very confident saying that. Will he be the head coach till 2030? I don't know. Ryan Day's been in the NFL. It wouldn't shock me if he, you know, like I'm thinking about how, you know, moving his family, how, you know, like I don't know. That's a long time to be the head coach is a, a decade, but I'm saying if he is, I think he will win that multiple matches. That is such a, you know, that's one of those jobs that 10 years is going to feel like 30 by the time he gets through it. I mean, the expectation, look at last year, right? They won, they lost two games, but they lost they the, won the Rose. They lost, yeah, the they won the Rose bowl and it was a bad season. And he, and he had to fire his DC and he took all this, you know, it's, it's, that that'll get to you after a while. Um, we have time for one more, Stu. Let's okay, one more. This one is going to be from John in Louisville, North Carolina. Hey guys, if this year they declared only teams who have never made the playoff would make the playoff, which four teams do you think would make it? I'm asking for four because I know Stu loves Utah and and I want to get beyond that. And also there are teams like Texas A and M that a lot of people are in a lot of people's projections. Well, he already named two of the four. I was going to say. You were going to say, all right, so give me your other two, because you've seen this question before I have. So only teams that have never made the playoff. Uh, I would go, um, gosh, USC is such a layup there, but I can't in good conscience put them above Utah. So I'll go Texas A&M. I'll go Utah. Let's see, who in the Big Ten could I go with? You ready to ride You ready to ride the Keaton Slovis train for Pitt? I know they're not in the big time. I was but. gonna mention Pitt as my possibility out of the ACC. Yes, um, and let's let's go with um, let's go with Baylor. All right, you named actually um, one of mine. Uh, Baylor, I was I would take I will take NC State. I thought of like NC State or Wake Forest. I will go with NC State. Um, okay, I think they will have maybe the one of the top two linebacking groups in the country. I think they'll be pretty nasty on defense and Devin Leary is very good. They're quarterback. So I will take those two. Um, I'm having a hard time pulling the, like, you know, somebody out of the big 10 West to go surprise it. Or Isn't whatever. it crazy that like we talk about the big 10 as one of the two super conferences and yet we can't think of a team besides Ohio State. Well, Michigan just went uh, to the Michigan playoff to put in there, yeah. yeah. And Michigan State's been in the playoff. So I just... What about the Iowa Hawkeyes? Um, I'm not ready to go there. Um, I'm not ready to... I won't say that. Uh, I'm not feeling as So basically for this to happen, are. for there to be four first-time playoff teams, the Big Ten would have to miss the playoff. Yeah, I don't know. I just I, I am such a believer in this Ohio State team right now. You know, one looks look, CJ Stroud could get hurt, something you know, whatever. I just think they're so loaded skill wise. I think they will be you know, I think they've upgraded on the defensive line. I think 
Um, How about two SEC teams not named Alabama make the playoff? One is A&M, and the other is Mississippi State. (laughs) Ole Miss. No. No. And the uh, like, you know what's crazy is you look at Kentucky's schedule. Can they get by? You know, they it's base. I don't want to say it's a one game schedule because they got to go to Tennessee and they play Florida early, and you know those are not going to be easy games. But and Louisville, I think, is is probably better than a lot of people outside of Louisville realize. But you know, it's like Georgia's a bad matchup for them. But you know, I think Will Levis is going to have a really good year. I think I just can't get myself to go. Oh, yeah, Kentucky is going to make the playoff. No. So what's you know? did we come to a consensus for? I, I've lost track. We both no, like A and M. Yeah, we, we both like A and M. We both like well Baylor. I like NC State. You liked Wake Forest. Who did you like on the ACC? Pitt. Okay. Um, and what was we, that other school? Well, are we Utah? Are, are we, we USC? USC? Are we? Yeah, it's got to be one of those two because Oregon's made the playoff. If you asked me to pick, I would. I would leave. I just feel like Utah's not going to have back to back amazing seasons. Yeah. So Here's will, what I, you need yeah, to I'll happen. Take, I will uh-huh. take USC of those two. What if the Pac-12 is the one to send two teams to the playoff? As unlikely as that sounds. And the way it would have to happen is this. Oregon goes and beats Georgia in week one, which gives, you know, huge credibility win for the conference. But then Oregon can't be one of the playoff teams. So they, they get all this credit. They shoot up the polls and then Utah and USC beat them. And it ends up, remember, no divisions this and year. Utah would, no divisions. Utah would, beat, yeah. Utah would beat Florida. which Utah yeah. beats Florida. And then you end up with like uh, 12-0. and 0, This is how it happens. You end up with 12-0 and 0 Utah against 11-1 and 1 USC in the Pac-12 title game. And the 11-1 and 1 team wins and they both make it. Man, I feel like you've been smoking a lot of weed with Larry Scott. Well, this <laughs> <laughs> yes, but also... the. He's asking us to imagine a scenario where Alabama is not in the playoff this year. What percentage chance Alabama is not even in the, not just not, doesn't not win the national championship, doesn't make the playoff at all with Bryce Young, Will Anderson, Jamar Gibbs, and so on? Uh, 20. That high. Well, I mean, Bryce Young could get hurt. Quarterbacks true, get hurt. True. He's not the biggest guy. I mean, it's not like it's still football, it's a long schedule. I mean, 20 might even be low just because. You know, I, th- I think all those guys you mentioned are awesome. But if you lose your quarterback, um, the season can get a little sideways a little it's bit. True. And there's enough good teams around. Hmm, I wish I could set it. I would say if, if you're right, I think you have to set it at like 20, 25 in the case, in the event he gets hurt for a significant period of time. If he doesn't get hurt, then I put the number at like less than 10%. Fair enough. All right. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com, and we will see you soon.